Welcome back to the Beyond Rockets podcast. I'm your host, Clark Dunn. The Beyond Rockets podcast is a way for me to showcase and highlight some of the small business owners, entrepreneurs, and talented creatives here in the Rocket City that make Huntsville way more than just a Rocket City. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen. You can follow me on YouTube at Beyond Rockets, as well as Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new and exciting things happening in Huntsville, as well as new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Affinity Recruiting and Consulting. 94% of small businesses and nonprofits disappear before their 10th birthday. The top 6% survive and thrive for two reasons, talent and strategy. Affinity's team of experts provides talent acquisition, outsourced HR, strategic planning, and fundraising support. Long story short, they fix the problems that cause small businesses and nonprofits to fail. If you could use help with recruiting, consulting, or HR, email their founder, Rob Murphy, to start a conversation today. You can also visit them online at affinitytoday.com. And both of those links are in the episode notes. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Rockets. Today, I sit down and talk with the founder, operations manager, and head of production of Straight to Ale, a local brewery here in Huntsville since 2009. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would each of you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is your role here is at Straight to Ale? Dan should go first. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, Dan Perry, I'm the owner, and I guess my official title is HMFIC. Bob? Hey, I'm the brewery manager or brewery big dog, so I handle everything from grain to glass. My name is Matt Broadhurst. I'm the operations manager, which just means I do whatever Dan doesn't want to do. <laughs> so, Dan, tell me a little bit about the original backstory of Straight to Ale, because obviously you've been home brewing really since the late 80s, early 90s. Was there always an idea to kind of open up a brewery one day and kind of what were you doing in that and what originally got you interested in home brewing? Yeah, well, it's all about the beer. I really enjoyed home brewing. I liked the creativity. Uh, when I was in the service uh, in Georgia, I sort of started home brewing and came back to Huntsville and I joined what was at that time called the Madison Sobriety Club, which was the homebrew club in town. And those guys were so helpful with my brewing because I was making serviceable beers but nothing outstanding. And those guys, <laughs> they were brutally honest. And they're like, hey, your beer sucks. And here's why it sucks. And they told me what I was doing wrong. And there's a lot of guys that had a lot more experience than me at the time, sort of broke down my brewing process and told me what I was doing wrong. I ended up making much better beer and just sort of became a hobby I was just really, really into. So I read that the actual naming of Straight to Ale actually happened when you were in Chattanooga at like a festival. Can you tell me a little bit about that backstory? Yeah, yeah. That was the Chattanooga Brewers Festival right up there. It used to be in a parking lot next to Big River up there. And we were up there. They had a stage there. And Kevin Kenny was on stage. And he was from Driving and Crying, a band that I really liked. And he was singing, uh, I'm Going Straight to Hell. <laughs> and the idea while I was sitting there with my beer in my hand was, hey, that's a simple name for my homebrew shed in the backyard. It was Straight to Hell. So obviously the home brewery was not your job. I mean, you were doing it as a fun pastime. What was your day-to-day job at that time? I think then I was probably General Standards Corporation, a small engineering company here in town doing the printed circuit board design. Okay. So was most of these beers that you would come up with in your shed, were these just tested by your friends that would come over? Or did you just kind of start throwing things together and kind of hoping that you would have some sort of great beer one day? I was motivated by the group that we were in, that, that homebrew group really, they had a style of the month that you would brew to learn all the different styles. Then you'd bring all your beers, we'd get together and taste all the beers and critique them. And we'd actually go through the BJCP judging 
on the beers that people brought and it just made me learn so much about it and then I learned how to control the processes to change the flavors and stuff like that and it was a real great learning experience. I probably never would have done this if it wasn't for that group of homebrewers that I was in. So was it 2009 when you were doing the home, like kind of at when the name officially became a thing or was that even before 2009? Uh, it was before. It was okay. before. It was when I got back from the service, uh, I joined that thing. So it must have been 2004, 2005. We were starting to really learn how to homebrew. So like the first actually craft brewery in Huntsville was Old Town, I think. And that was actually at a location that you actually were able to get in 2011. But prior to that location, you were actually at the Dye House at Lincoln Mill. Can you tell me a little bit about what operations look like there? Oh, that was a wreck, man. It was a very cool experience, but we were in that development way too early. <laughs> the building didn't have a window in it when we moved in there, and we had 500 square feet is what we had. <laughs> and it was just a, a nightmare because we didn't have the money that we needed to get everything up to where it needed to go. But it was a different time where you couldn't even have tap rooms back then. They weren't legal. So it was just a place for us to produce the beer, and the idea was we would ship that beer to the market because you couldn't serve it over the counter like you can now. And so I think I read that the first time you were actually able to sell the beer to the public was like in May of 2010. I think I read that Huntsville area is where it grew and then eventually started going south in yeah. Alabama. But where was that first location that you were actually, people were able to kind of pick up straight to ale? Well, our opening party was at the Nook. Okay. It was there. They set up a big tent in the backyard. We had a great event put on by Beverly and those guys and, and Mr. Allen and we had, I think, five or six beers that we had ready to go, and uh, it was just really well received. It was just a great rollout party. I really thank those guys for getting us sort of kicked off. So were those initial five beers beers that you still have today, or some of the beers that you originally started with you kind of do as more of like a seasonal special occasion beer? I don't remember every beer we had, but a lot of the beers that we did that day, like Unobtainium, it was kind of the one that sort of got us as a group of homebrewers that wanted to own breweries because every homebrewer <laughs> wants to own a brewery. Most of them have the sense not to do it. <laughs> but Unobtainium was when we were brewing that in the driveway with, I think, four of us that day. We all sort of agreed to start a brewery probably because we were drinking too much. <laughs> and the Unobtainium is actually like a barrel aged, isn't it? Yes. Okay. I read at the time, I don't know exactly when Monkey Knots first started, but it became your best-selling beer. And when it, it first kind of came on the shelves, you were having a hard time production-wise to keep up with it. Yeah, yeah, our system over at the Lincoln Mill over there was very, very small. It was a three-barrel system. And when you start putting beer out into the market and people pick it up and are interested to try it, that's a very minuscule amount of beer. So we were doing it nights and weekends, so we were just constantly brewing Monkey Knot. And I think Brother Joseph and Lily Flag were the other ones we were producing at the time. And, and they were all well-received, but Monkey Knot by far was our most popular beer. So at the, at the Lincoln Mill location, was it just a group of like five or six people? Or how big was the team of Straight to Ale at that time? I think there were probably four of us, okay. uh, maybe five, four or five of us. And we didn't have any employees there. We gained our first employee there, I guess, who was a great guy, Henry, that was just working with someone else in the building and, and loved to come hang out with us down there. So Eventually, we were able to pay somebody, and he was the first guy. <laughs> he worked a lot of hours with no pay, so I appreciate him for that for sure. So you quickly grew out of the Lincoln Mill location. I think at the Lehman Ferry location, which was Old Town, and it's fractal now, but that's when Bob, you, and Matt kind of joined on and kind of started working there. Can you tell me a little bit about, what Dan, about that location, as well as then we'll kind of talk with Bob and Matt about kind of them joining on? Yeah, well, that location was built for Old Town. It was built by Don Allen and Milton, and uh, Dr. Miller put that together. and. They ran it. They were having some issues. They were going to have to shut it down. So we were good friends with those guys, and they called us up and asked if we were interested. And we went over and looked at it, and it was 10,000 square feet. We went from 500 to 10,000, and we're like, and this is before tap rooms too. You know, it's like, man, we'll never be able to 
use all this space, but it's a great opportunity. The brew house is there. So we signed on and eventually it became too small for us, which is kind of crazy, but it's a great location. So Bob, uh, you joined on in 2012. What was the initial role that you came on as and kind of what did you know about Straight Dale at that time? I went to the tap room and hung out and drank their beer and was a big fan and was a little bit of friends with Henry and saw him in events and stuff like that. But he wasn't full-time. He was still going to school and they needed somebody to come in there full-time and basically be a brew assistant and just take anything that needed to be done. The candy line was there in place. They were trying to run that. And so they brought me in to basically keep the tanks full and then also help package that beer out in that canning line. So was prior to the canning line coming there, were y'all doing everything by individual cans at a time? Or did y'all just have a smaller canning line than the one you came in 2012? There was no canning line before that, right? That's yeah. right. Wow. There was no canning line. They were just doing draft only. Yeah, we, wow. we did some. No, we didn't even do bottles then. It wasn't legal. Not yet. yet. Yeah. yeah. No, it was just draft only. Yeah, yeah. Was. We couldn't do that big a package. So. Wow. They had a few part-timers, Henry and Ed, and then everyone else just kind of like owners would help run that canning line. So they knew they needed somebody quickly. And after I came aboard, we started hiring more people to run that canning line because we were keeping tanks full and not <laughs> emptying them as fast as we needed to. So, Matt, you came on also like in 2011, and your role has definitely changed over the years. Oh, yeah. What did you start <laughs> off doing in 2011? So, 2011, they had posted some pictures of some t-shirt designs on, I think, <laughs> Facebook, and they were horrible. No, I'm just uh, they were fine, but they were going for a certain dynamic, and I have a degree in art, and uh, I knew the brewery. I didn't know any of the guys with it. I just knew the beers. Uh, that I'd gotten locally, usually in the little plastic growlers from uh, Liquor <laughs> Express back in the day. And I just mocked up some quick designs and shot them out. Just sent them back to them on, on uh, I think it was Facebook. Probably. It had to been Facebook. Yeah. I don't know. It could have been some other, whatever was cool at the time, do uh, social media on. But Dan hit me back. And he's like, who who are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm just Matt. like your beer. You know, I just, I had some free time, mocked up some stuff. And there was the first brew fest coming up. It was out in Providence. Providence, yeah. And Dan said, well, I'm going to be at Providence. If you're coming, come find me. So I said, all right, cool. So my wife and my dad and my stepmom and stuff, we all went up there and ended up meeting Dan, talking to him for a while. And he's like, hey, come by the brewery. Let's talk. I think it was like a week later, came by there, sat in his office, talked about some art designs. From there, I started working in the tap room, doing cake cleaning on the weekends, bartending, just kind of hanging out when I had time. I had a job, didn't need one. Just liked the guys that I met there. Bob was actually with me at another job at that time. <laughs> and uh, just kind of got to know the guys. And as as it progressed, I just kind of ended up where I'm at now. <laughs> so, I just haven't gone away. <laughs> so what were y'all both doing prior to Straight to Ale as far as jobs were concerned? I was working for a, another company here in town that specialized in doing panoramics of college football stadiums. Okay. And then I moved from that to working for Budweiser as a craft brands manager. Two totally different businesses. But, <laughs> yeah. And Bob had worked with me at the place doing panoramic photos and picture framing. And then you'd gone. Yeah, I, was at, I was at Hobby Lobby yeah. part-time, so I was definitely looking for something else. Graduated college in 2010, but just couldn't find a job. And so I was like, I need to find something that I want to do. And so Hobby Lobby helped me just have something to do. And then I was like, when this job opened up, I was like, I got to try to get in there. Uh, homebrewed for about two years before that, but always was just assisting the guys, never really making the recipes or stuff like that. But they used my house. Because my closet was the one that they could keep the fermentation in and stuff like that. So I just figured I'd make that jump and then really caught on when I started working at the brewer. So in 2012, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of when the popularity for Straight to Ale really kind of grew. Because, I mean, starting in 2009, you were at the Dye House doing a small production. The production increases when you go to the, the Lehman Ferry location. Was the success, Dan, right off the bat, 
for Straight to Ale when you were starting to actually put it out places? Was the success just amazing right off the bat or did it take time? It was me, right? <laughs> no. <yeah. laughs> hey, it was my it, creativity. It, it, it was definitely these guys, absolutely. But initially, we just didn't understand the volume and the response that we would get from the Huntsville market. So we were blessed from the start. Like I said, we were just selling everything we could make right off the bat. And as we grew from a three-barrel system to a 20-barrel system, we're like, well, that 20 barrels is too much. <laughs> well, 20 barrels wasn't too much, right? So we got that place, 10,000 square feet, had maybe 340s and a 60 for as far as fermentation. That's 40 barrels and 60 barrels. We ended up adding a bunch of 100-barrel fermenters there, and we just slowly put so much equipment in that space that we crept out of the brewing area, and we're sitting on the concrete floor. And that's what we knew we had to expand from there. So, yeah, you were at the Lehman Ferry location for roughly four years. How did the building and uh, production kind of change throughout that time? I mean, all y'all were involved with it, and yeah. you, you got to see it. I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it just then, but can you kind of go into more detail of, like, obviously the place looks a lot different now with Fractal there than it did when y'all were there. I think they yeah. did a lot of construction. Oh, yeah. What did it look like in 2012 versus what did it looked like in 2016 when you left? Right. Busting out of the scenes. Yeah, it, it didn't <laughs> matter. I noticed this when, when I started working, like, you size a can line that you're like, this is going to solve all our problems. And then all of a sudden you get it and it's like, this thing's not even keeping up. Yeah. We need something that's going to automatically load these cans in because we got to run this thing three times a day. So then it's just like, okay, now we got to get more tanks in here. And so we just started cramming stuff in there because people just wanted that beer so much. And they didn't understand we don't have tanks big enough. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, luckily we yeah. found those hundreds from Sweetwater that we could start really getting monkey knot out on the market. Yeah, and, we, you know, we expanded our footprint, too. We moved out of Huntsville, moved down to Birmingham. We covered the whole state. We got into Tennessee a little bit. For a while, we were in Georgia, and we expanded out when there weren't so many craft brewers in every single market. We thought we would try to spread out as far as we could our distribution. But as breweries are in every town, a couple of them in every town, it's more hyper-local. So we figured that pulling back in down the road and concentrating more on our local markets was the best way to go. And so far, that's really worked for us. We don't have to try to support markets so far away that it's 10, 12-hour drive, that kind of thing. But as far as the Lehman Ferry location, it was just a shell when we got in there with a brew house. We got tap rooms legal, and we're like, hey, let's take the garage, and we'll put a bar <laughs> on a weekend. We built a bar there, and we did so much business through that garage bar. It was crazy. So we started taking up the main floor space. But as the production grew out into that floor space, poor Bob and his crew were having to set up and tear down stages and all that almost every weekend. We knew we needed a bigger spot because our production had grown so large and the public coming in to the location had grown so large, too. Yeah. So what year was it that you were actually able to have that draft room? You know, I am terrible with years, but it was one of the laws that we got changed uh, pretty early on. Okay. It was maybe a year or so after we got into Lima Ferry, we were able to use that garage as our tap room. So it was right around that time frame. So, I mean, the craft beer scene at that time, it was pretty much y'all. And I think Yellowhammer kind of was founded around the same time, mm -hmm. 2009, 2010. Yep. Were y'all pretty much the only primary two breweries here in Huntsville at the time? Yeah, I think so. Now, I, I had one of my partners that split off of Straightdale and started Mad Malls. Okay. So he left after we got to Lehman, I think. And started Mad Moss. But initially it was us and Yellowhammer and, you know, Old Town had shut down. Yeah. So it's crazy, I guess, to think of, think about, I mean, it's been 10 years, but to now see what's happened in the last five years as far as craft beer is, is in Huntsville. I mean, yeah. And then what's going to happen in the next two years, it's grown exponentially over and over again. Do you think that popularity of craft beer in Huntsville has helped is what's propelled straight to ale to what it is today? 
Definitely the Huntsville market has absolutely propelled us. They embrace what we're doing. We try to be good members of the community, and they're real responsive to that. Without the people in Huntsville, we wouldn't be doing anything right now, I don't think. So, I mean, you go out of the scenes at Lehman Ferry. You've expanded beyond your wild imaginations. You never thought you were going to expand more than what that 10,000 square feet was going to have. But in 2016, you actually joined here at Campus 805, where you have 45,000 square feet. What was the initial pitch for I mean, obviously, you needed more space. It makes complete sense now. I mean, looking at it in 2022, that like this is a great location to be in and like everything that's happening. In 2016, it looked very different. Yeah. Kind of what was the initial pitch and was it a tough pitch or a tough sell for you to be like, hey, let's come here? Well, we, we knew we needed to expand. I mean, we absolutely knew we were looking actively around. We had a lot of people helping us trying to find that location. And we had a couple of other ones before this. We were trying to make work. We couldn't quite get it to fit or it didn't seem like it was the best answer. And then we ran across, I think Chad Emerson Chad, brought yeah, us down yeah. here to the school and we're like, well, this gymnasium is perfect. And all these other school, I love old buildings and yeah. repurposing an old building right in this location, right? You know, at the entry to downtown seemed like the perfect fit. And he was able to put us with the developer to make all this happen. So it, we're in the right place at the right time. We just happened to be looking when this thing, they wanted to unload this school, I guess. So just to be clear, I thought this place was a prison. Uh, <laughs> it was most, awful. Most <laughs> people, most people before, did. before we came in. But yeah, yeah, Chad brought us down here and it was, I remember Dan, like, hey. Chad showed me this space. We're going to go look at it. Yeah, we jumped we in his could, car and we came over here and I was just like, oh, hell no, man. No. Well, it was it was a little and then, rough. And then we got in the gym. I'm like, gym's perfect. Yeah. If you'd seen the rest of the building back then, you're like, uh, yeah, no. it, it was in, in very bad <laughs> shape and they still had the barbed wire around the, yeah. the, yeah. the it, it, it wasn't in, yeah. It wasn't a place that you were like, hey, let's come in and have a beer. It yeah, was a place yeah. of like, maybe I should drive a little quicker past it. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. why we couldn't do it on our own. So we had to have a developer that had the same vision to turn this into something good for the city. And he did a good job. Yeah. So in 2016, when y'all come here, Bob, what were you and Matt? How has your role changed in 2016 when you come to this location? Or are you doing the same thing? I was keeping straight or Lehman Ferry afloat, basically keeping production going while we built this out. We brought a few guys from over there over here and they helped build this place out. But we knew when we got over here that production was going to go up. We were going to be able to finally do ciders, seltzers, liquor, all that stuff. So there's this huge dream over here. So it was like, just keep doing what we're doing over there and then we'll slowly move over here. And so, yeah, I was just doing the exact same thing, just a little short staffed over there, but for the greater good. Yeah, I just kind of got thrown in the mix with whatever needed to be done. At that point, I'd already kind of started to move. I was doing some sales stuff for a while to help out the team and doing kind of just whatever had to be done. But uh, I was traveling a lot at that point. And then we started doing this place and we hired on another sales manager. And I backed out of that and then kind of focused on everything that had to be done here. Label approvals, all, all the fun stuff that goes with trying to open a brewery that, that Dan and the guys needed help with. Just keep an eye on the team that we had over here because a lot of people don't know that it was really our crew that built this place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, We were on a tight budget. Everybody had to have about 10 hats on to get this thing done. Yeah, I mean, our brewers were coming over here whenever they had opportunity, our packaging guys and building bars or just ripping up a hardwood floor for weeks. Yeah. So this was really a labor of love for a lot of the guys that were here originally. And those, a lot of those guys have moved on to have brewing careers in other places, but they're part of the team. And I think I have a picture of us all trying to get extremely drunk at Drake's the day we were like, we open tomorrow. <laughs> There's nothing else for us to do tonight. Let's I think go. we were successful. Yeah. So in 2011, Matt, you were still part-time doing your other job. When did you actually go full-time here? So I've been in this position eight years. Okay. Um, and then doing stuff in between there. It's kind of weird. I was working for a rather large competitor full-time, which is Budweiser, as a craft brands manager here in town, but still doing stuff on the side for these guys. I'd still stop in the brewery all the time, talk to Dan and 
just do whatever I could to help out, pick up shifts every once in a while. So, so and Bob, when did you actually get the role as head of production? Oh, question. Three um, years ago? Yeah, three years ago, head of production, lead brewer along with Drew, our other brewer, about a year after we started, okay. about a year and a half after we started. So how has both y'all's roles changed? I mean, obviously the operations management of it eight years ago looked very different than what it does now. Can you tell me eight employees? (laughs) How has, how has your roles and like what your day-to-day take us through what your day-to-day role would be like when you first kind of started this position versus what it looks like today? Um, Very sweaty. (laughs) Uh, When I first started, it was just hands-on manual labor brewing, basically just no matter how many hours it took, get the beer in and out and then clean and tank, stuff like that. Still do that to this day. But more now, it's training the new guys to do it. And and one of the first things that they said to me when I started working here was, don't ask what I need to do, but ask why. If you don't understand why you're doing it, then you're never going to learn. You're never going to grow. So I'm trying to instill that in these guys. Is You can come to me with questions, but sooner or later, you got to ask, why am I asking this question? So back then, yeah, just a lot of manual labor. Now I still do that. But more now, it's some paperwork, making sure inventory is good to go, ordering, stuff like that. So I sit behind a computer probably about 20 of the, <laughs> of the of the week. A lot of your work scheduling, trying to, we have a lot of products for a lot of, you know, we, we own Druid City. We do the salty nut beers. We have a lot of products. We do some contract brewing, but Bob is the guy that schedules all the tanks, all the brewers and everything to get those through the system. So he's got a lot of headaches and he does a great job. What about you, Matt? So eight years ago, we had eight employees and most of those guys were brewing and packaging. So Bob and other brewers dealt with those guys. I was dealing mostly with our sales team, our uh, distributors, things like that. It's much smaller network at that point. <laughs> it is much larger now. Dan's always made a comment that he, once we could afford to hire people and have staff, hire the right people, pay them what they're worth, and then let those guys run the business. Thankfully, we've done that more and more as we got in there because I don't know what I'd do if I was still having to do help with accounting. And we have <laughs> we have an amazing HR accounting lady, uh, Denise, that works for us that deals with our crap every day. But just the amount of employees we deal with every day, because I do everything from the front of the house tap room, dealing with situations, questions there, fixing tap lines sometimes, just day-to-day stuff, all the way up to making sure that Bob and I are communicating on shipments, when we're receiving items, when we're shipping items, booking freight, and then... Whatever Dan tells me to do that day, usually sit behind a computer a lot as well. Now, a lot of Excel spreadsheets in my life. So Dan, I mean, obviously your role as the brewery is gone. Like I said, you've hired these people in these positions that can run the brewery for you. And so your role today in 2022 definitely looks a lot different than what it was even five, six, eight years ago. What does your day-to-day look like now being the founder kind of at that role you are now? Yeah, I'm just trying to keep track of everything and uh, get feedback from all the people that we have in place doing all the, the work. It's tricky because I have to spend a day at, in Tuscaloosa. Like Monday, I was in Tuscaloosa looking at the new Druid City build out down there, making sure we're on track down there. And today, when I leave this interview, I've got to go to the co-op in Gunnersville and check on some things down there. So I'm trying to keep track of all the different entities. Ale's Kitchen is a huge part of what we're doing here, I'm trying to keep track of our food costs and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and Matt helps with that tremendously. But you can't take your eye off any of it because as soon as you take your eye off one spot, your labor costs will go out of control and then you're working really hard for nothing. So you got to keep everything in your parameters. So I just sort of oversee all that. Yeah. So in 2016, when you get into this location, obviously the build out of this location took a lot. I mean, it was not an inviting place to be in. So it took a lot of effort, a lot of love, a lot of labor to make it to what it is today. Was the success of Campus 805 and Straight to L here? I mean, I'm obviously since 
you've kind of grown, the community's kind of got to see you was a success right off the bat. I mean, you added a lot of other aspects when you came here, the kitchen, the spirits, and kind of what did that look like? I think it was pretty, I don't think we really had any downtime once we finally got open here. It seemed like the construction always takes longer than you want. So people are hungry for it. We did a good job of marketing what we had and people came out and saw what we're doing. And they, I think, pretty immediate responded with, uh, we like what you're doing, keep, keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, you've had to, in growing the your spirits lines and kind of adding that aspect to it. I think Yellowhammer probably had some of the spirits starting around the same time as y'all, but there was really nothing like that. When people were looking at ordering spirits, did they expect to see a spirit that they recognized? And was it a tough kind of sell, like, hey, you should try ours, like give ours a try? Or was it kind of just like, oh, you added this other aspect to the menu. We're really excited to give this a try. So for us being a manufacturer, our licensing is different, obviously, for our tap rooms. Yeah. So for people that are new to the craft industry, which thankfully Huntsville's embraced us. So a lot of people that are visiting, will, you know, they're the concierge and stuff in the hotels will say, you got to go straight to Ale. Yeah. You know, you got to get Ale's Kitchen. But they come in, they're like, I'll drink a McUltra. And we're like, <laughs> yes, we yeah. can only serve what we produce. So we started looking at our options because originally we talked, we're like, we're going to be a tap room with a little bit of food. And then it became this amazing restaurant with, with this amazing brewery. And we're like, oh, we really, again, underestimated people's desire for a really good burger yeah. and be able to drink some beers with it. And then as we grew, people would ask, well, are you guys, you don't have cocktails? Yeah. And we're like, no, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we're looking at it, but. We're brewers. We're not distillers, you know, and that was at that point. And then we started talking and before you know it, there's a still being delivered <laughs> and Dan's taking some classes and. And this we, room's being built. Yeah. yeah. This was the original liquor room. Yeah. We only did it in here and then yeah. people wanted it all over the place. And we said, all right, well, we got to yeah. put it in all the bars. Yeah. So it kind of grew naturally once we started doing it. And then the distiller we had on the time uh, had submitted some stuff out for some awards and we did really well with those. Our vodka was top 10 vodkas made in the United States, top 10 vodka to try. And it got like great reviews. So we had a lot of people come in going, well, I, I read this article about your vodka. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're like, crap, you guys need to make some more vodka. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and as we did that, he got to play and we came out with some stuff. The vodka gets a lot of attention. The uh, spiced rum we do gets a lot of attention. Mm. Unfortunately, we're still in Alabama. We have to deal with the ABC. So it can be tricky getting our stuff into the market. It took a while to get ABC to even pick up our brand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a different thing than you do with a beer because you have to go through the ABC to get into their stores and you can't go directly to the end customers, which is a little trickier. But we started to understand it. It's a little harder for us to do because we don't have the marketing budgets and yeah. stuff like that to do big statewide pushes for our spirits. So we concentrate mainly on our spirits just in-house. Uh, in-house. And we've got a decent size still, but it's not huge. And it's not one that runs 24-7. So we concentrate on selling over-the-counter more than anything. And, and we're able to sell bottles to go to the public. And that does pretty well, too. Yeah, I mean, and since you've added beer, you've added the spirits, and you also added wine. When did wine kind of get added to the mix? Because people come here for the food, and we just had a lot of requests for it. So we got in touch with a vineyard in Virginia, and we were able to work with them to produce wines for us. We buy them in here in bulk, and we adjust them here, package them here, and just really good quality wines. Instead of trying to do, we used to do like wine kits at Lehman Ferry, and it was mediocre at best. <laughs> and now we can get some really quality products that are our own products, and they're unique to us 
and we're able to push those through here. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy just to see this development of how straight tail has grown. I mean, just from being in the dye house to being at Lehman Ferry to being here in town, not to just offer beer, to offer a huge, I mean, menu. I mean, the food menu itself is some of the best food, honestly. Like, Thank uh, you. There's stuff here that is, it's amazing. And you've grown, not only are you engaging with the straight tail community itself is a tight-knit community, but you've also been able to acquire and kind of be a part of some other brands, which you mentioned before, with Druid City and Salty Nut. When did those kind of acquisitions happen and kind of what was the mindset at that time? Well, we're friends with a lot of people and uh, work with everybody in the industry. We talk all the time. And for the Druid City, for example, Bo was just a, a one-man show down there and he was working 18 hours a day, killing himself. And he knew he needed help and he knew he wasn't going to have the capital or the personnel to expand throughout the state. So we were able to come in and say, listen, work with us, come up here, we'll bring your recipes up here for the production side of it. We'll be able to spread it throughout the state and put it in package. You concentrate on your tap room down there and doing what you're the best at, which is interacting with the local Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, his personality is incredible. It is. I mean, if you're listening to this episode, we had Brewers Co-op on in August. The episode came out, and the first of August, I guess it was. And he often didn't realize we had we were videoing and, and he was he was making gestures and calling for another beer. And it was honestly incredible. So, like, that's one place I actually haven't been able to go to is down in Tuscaloosa and checked out their actual tap room. But I've heard great things. And you've expanded that tap room. You mentioned a little bit where they're even offering a food or working on some other advancements yeah, it, down there. It's not quite there yet. But okay. within the next two months, we plan to be open in the new location, which is just sort of across the parking lot from his tiny location with 14 seats now we've got him a 5,000 square foot place wow it's got a he does a lot of music down there so he's got a place for entertainment built in there and then the kitchen in there and the larger bar and larger brewery yeah so like if you're listening to this this episode probably come out in october so that the, should be open the space should be open Fingers so if, crossed. if you're down there for the football season this year you should definitely check out druid city but then now looking at salty nut which is just right down the road from y'all yeah was there production and kind of that same mindset of like getting their beers out to seeing more people? And you've done a lot of stuff that's happening soon there as well with them adding some space. Yeah, they I just say we didn't want anybody else to have their backyard. That's a great backyard. <laughs> their right? backyard's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the issue over there is parking. It always has been. But the backyard is a great spot. We love that. We love the beers that we're doing. We wanted to add some more creative, up-to-date style. And I think we've done that over there. But the main thing we're doing is we're working with Scott to put a kitchen in there. Because we found that you have to have food, and food trucks are outstanding, but it's hard to get them on the nights you need them. So uh, he's putting Anaheim Chili, which a lot of people that are here in this probably are familiar with Scott and Anaheim Chili. is a great restaurant. So it'll be open over there as soon as the electrician gets his stuff signed off on by the city. <laughs> Three months close. from whatever day yeah, you yeah, ask us. By <laughs> October, that's already happened. Though. You would think Maybe. by October we're, we're open and uh, doing well over there, but... It's a unique place. It's got a different atmosphere than here. This place has got a, over here at Straight Dale Campus 805, has got a bunch of interior spaces that we use. We didn't have the outside space, so it made total sense to us to get that outside space for the people that wanted to go sit outside, listen to a band on the weekends, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this journey you've been on since 2009 with starting and founding Straight to Ale and now in 2022, I mean, obviously any home brewer probably wants to have a tap room one day and kind of have their beer enjoyed by more people. But what point in this journey for you did you say, I never thought it would be this much? And then at what point were you like, hey, I think it can actually be more? It's when you met me, right? <laughs> <laughs> when we started, we pretty much realized right away it was like we underestimated, severely underestimated. Because all we wanted was a cool place to hang out with our friends and drink some beers and maybe get a, a tap at the nook or something like that just to see your beer on tap because yeah. you're proud of that. But it looked like, you know, it was a viable business model. And, and so we really put a lot of thought into it, ran a bunch of numbers, and 
pretty much right away we knew we could make something work. When we got the call for Lehman Ferry, that was a big step for us. But due to Old Town shutting down the way it was, it was Dr. Miller, who was the owner of the facility, made it made a plan for us to make it work. So we were able to grow because he worked with us instead of demanding right off the bat. He would let us ease into the money that had to be paid for that location, the equipment, and that kind of stuff. So he was a huge help for us in our growth because straight to L has always been short on cash because we don't, we don't have any one large big money investor or anything that provides us with the cash. We have to earn it on our own, which is good because it makes us really careful with every dollar we spend. Yeah. And we've been able since then, since its location here, to get some investors to come in and, and help us build this place out. And I think they're all happy with what we've done with <laughs> the money that they put in. Yeah. I mean, thinking over this journey for you since 2009, did you always think that one day you would own your own business and you always had that entrepreneurial mindset or that itch to kind of do something like this? Or is this something that you kind of just kind of fell up, didn't really necessarily fell upon, but at its scale it is, you had to just learn so much more than you ever thought you would be doing? Yeah, I, I guess up until the point that I did it, I really didn't think that I would do something like this. It just seemed like the right thing to do. We were in a situation, we evaluated it, and it seemed like it made most sense to move on and make it a real business. Yeah, and you kind of answered the question a second ago a little bit, but looking at this journey, how much of your success with Straight to AO would you contribute to being in the right place at the right time, and how much would you contribute to your hard work? Eh, you know, it's got to be some of both. We put in, all of us, every employee here has put in a ton of hard work, and we wouldn't have made it without that hard work. But we were in Huntsville as it grew. They were open to the craft beer, so it was a good time to get into this. And honestly, a lot of it, our success was due to the laws being changed, which was hard work at the same time because we worked with all the organizations, the Free the Hops, the Alabama Brewers Guild, to get all these laws changed over the years to let us have a successful business. Because early on, we couldn't do half the stuff that <laughs> we do now, and we had to get those laws changed before we were able to do it. I think that the straight to ales, your growth and your willingness to put in the work for the craft brewery scene in Alabama as well as Huntsville has paved the way for these other breweries to kind of be successful and at least open the eyes to people to say like, hey, like you can enjoy craft. Like there is this thing as craft beer. And I, obviously you do get those people that come in that say they want a Bud Light or a Ultra or whatever it might be. But then also having that knowledge from your staff to say, hey, you like this. Well, we also have this that kind of fits. Chill Pill is a great option for a light beer, a light Pilsner. Sure. Looking at the operations and from both of y'all's perspectives, has it been a tough sell or do you see when you are like, hey, like I think you would like this, that those people are like, hey, this is actually really good. You get both. I mean, for the most part, I think you can convert people pretty easily if you have an option for them. Chill Pills is our number one seller in the tap room. It used to be Monkey Knot. Monkey Knot's number two now. But once wow. I think we dedicated, because we weren't really producing a light option for a while. We had done a Kolsch for a while that the word Kolsch scared people. They didn't know <laughs> what it was. But if you just say, I got a Pilsner, people will be like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. Yeah. I know what a Pilsner is. So we spent some time on marketing that and, and getting that beer ready. And, and Bob and his crew put together some amazing options for that. And we finally hit on one that everybody liked. And that's our go-to now. You get those people that come in, they're like, I drink McUltra. I just came here because I heard the burger's good. Yeah. But you can slide them a chill pills. They're like, oh, this tastes like a bud, but it has a little bit more flavor to it. And yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> and then you can jump them onto, you know. Anything move, else. Move them up well, to like, someone Hey, hey how about you try a flight and you get a little bit of these options? Yeah. And I yeah. think the flight option, I think, is one of those perfect options for someone that is listening that craft beer is not necessarily your thing. You haven't really tried it or you're not really, you haven't found something that you've liked. Getting a flight is a great option because you get to try a variety of different types of beers that you would normally not just get at the restaurant, your Bud Light, your Ultras, your Miller Lights, whatever it might be. I bet it's a cool experience to sit there and see these people try craft beer for the first time and just like, oh, like this is actually, this is not what I expected. And Dan's always pushing, right? I mean, if we would have just transplanted Lehman Ferry and put it in a bigger location, 
and would be asleep on a recliner right now, probably just retired. You <laughs> know, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like, no, we're going to do more. We're going to help Bo out. We're going to grow this brand. We're going to be part of this brewer's co-op. And also, he, he said, keep that taproom exciting. I want a big portfolio. I don't want just a Pilsner and an IPA. I want stouts and flavored stuff and sours and where's the market going and let's do seltzers, let's do ciders. So I'm going to give you all these hoops and you can jump through them and we're going to be successful or we can just back down and just be little dogs. So well, people like variety. Yeah. yeah. People like the options and, and to try new things so that we want to have those new things. We want something for everybody. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, like my mother-in-law is celiac. And so like the seltzer options that you have is one of those things that like we all love craft beer. And so we got all these different breweries and we love it. But like the limited options for her is always a tough sell. But offering the more and more breweries, I guess, Salty Nut now has the seltzer and y'all have a seltzer. I mean, like there's so many more varieties. And even with Brewers Co-op, having those cider options and the seltzer options and as well as the cocktail options gives something for everybody. Yeah. And like Matt said, that chill pills helps open that door. And I've been in the tap room when I've let that run out, and it's a sad sight for those servers because <laughs> they don't have that light option to say, if nothing else, you can easily fall back to this. Yeah. I just jumped straight to Bro Joe. <laughs> uh, we don't have any show pill, me. but bro, I think Brother Joseph is, is Brother the next Joseph, best. Brother Joseph surprises <laughs> people, though. People yeah. try it, and, and it has kind of like a red wine taste to it, and people are like, that's my jam. And, and <laughs> especially when we started doing the blood orange version, oh, yeah. people are like, that is crushable. I'm like, yeah, but it's also 8%. So, yeah. <laughs> so just watch so out. Careful. Pace yeah. yourself. It's a marathon. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get fun customers too, which is, I haven't worked in the tap room much lately, but it's fun when you get people who are like, I don't know anything about craft beer. What do you like? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're not going to like what I like. I can tell. <laughs> just, you know, like I love IPAs. Yeah. I love bitter hop goodness. I don't like stouts. But man, I'll pour you a Brojo. <laughs> or, you know, I'll pour you a Dubal or we've done... Some stuff with Kavikis that has like this kind of farmhousey flavor to it, and people are like, "Can I buy this?" Like, <laughs> you know, and the, you just see them kind of a lot of like, "This is really good." And that's Bob and his crew and Dan going, "Hey, go wild!" You know, yeah, we've put in a small brew house in this location that so we can do tests and play with stuff. And the packaging guys to the brewers haven't let us down. Yeah. You know, well, they, I mean, come with well, some crazy stuff. Or one of the last questions I asked in the interview was like, "Do you drink beer?" And a lot of people would be like, "Yeah, I dabble." And I was like, "We're gonna make you drink." Like we're gonna we're gonna introduce you to it because like there's something know. for everybody almost yeah because I mean in this state right now I mean hiring somebody who's done craft brewing is hard because we're all at different breweries unless you're gonna snipe it from somebody else you're hiring people that don't have much experience yeah. or home brewing experience so I definitely tell them like get ready we're gonna introduce you to just a full palette of all kinds of flavors. Yeah. So like anybody that's listening right now, how can they connect with you if they're potentially looking for a job as well as just connect with you about events and new beers and check out your stuff? Where can they find you? Best place to find us is straighttail.com uh, or Facebook. The two best places. As far as events, we have multiple spaces in this location. We have the Third Circle, which is our wine room is what we call it, but we have wine on other locations. Uh, a little bit more laid back, kind of chill. And we have the speakeasy and then we have the main tap room and the back patio the front beer garden. We've got a few spaces around here. Yes. We, like to, we like to make the servers run around a little bit. But you can reach out to events at straighttail.com. Sharon Singleton is who runs our events here in town. She books all that stuff and takes care of the customers for those. But hit our website. We've got links to everybody that you would ever need to reach out to from JT, our kitchen manager, to Bob's email address. We have questions about the brewery. I don't think Dan's on there because he doesn't like to talk to people. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I'm on there. Our sales team's on there. Facebook is always just a good way to reach out. We get hundreds of messages every day. From at one today, it said, "Hey, I have a friend that doesn't drink. Do you have non-alcoholic options?" Yeah. I said, 
we got Coke products, but we'll make you a martini. You know, we'll, we'll put something together for you to make sure you're happy. So. And I think if anyone's listening to this, this episode's probably coming out in October. And if you're looking for like a seasonal event rental for your holiday parties as well, they have a variety of different spaces. I mean, we use the space here, my wife and I, for our rehearsal dinner at the cellar area. And it was fantastic. There's a variety of other options. So definitely check out their website. I think all that's listed as, yeah. as far as rental space. But thank you so much. It's been a great interview. I mean, I've, I've absolutely loved learning more about the story and kind of hearing those backstories of just how quickly the brand Straight Tail has been able to grow across Huntsville. And I continue to look forward to the success that will happen in Huntsville and across all the states for many more years to come. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for so much us. for coming up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond Rockets. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and on YouTube at Beyond Rockets. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed.